0: Wish you weren't hearing an ad right now? Want to get the next episode even sooner? Well, after the show, head to watchnebula.com slash radio. You'll get access to our original podcasts, ad-free, plus exclusive originals and experimental shows from your favorite educational-ish creators. And best of all, you're helping us to make even more amazing content. Just go to watchnebula.com slash LegalEagleRadio. It really helps us out. Val, there are three shots in your pistol yet. You had better discharge them. What for? To prevent any accident, you might shoot yourself. No danger of that, was the reply. Evidently, the writers of Law & Order 1871 were really into very obvious foreshadowing. Among the many sworn duties of lawyers, perhaps the most famous is that of zealous advocate. A lawyer is duty-bound to do everything reasonable and ethical to help a client achieve their goals. The best lawyers burn the candle at both ends with long hours and little sleep in service of zealous representation, figuratively killing themselves for their clients. But do you know the story of perhaps the greatest defense attorney of all time who took the oath of zealous advocacy just a little too seriously by not figuratively dying for his client, but literally dying for his client. Well, today we're going to discuss the curious case of Clement Vallandigham, whose novel legal defense got his client acquitted of murder charges at the cost of his own life. And along the way was found guilty of treason and exiled before sneaking back into this country in disguise. It's going to be a wild ride. So let's get started. Vallandigham was born on July 29th, 1820 in New Lisbon, Ohio, now just Lisbon, Ohio. Growing up, he was best friends with Edwin M. Stanton, who would become the Secretary of War under President Abraham Lincoln. Growing up, Vallandigham was close friends with Stanton until uh, falling out was caused not by uh, stealing each other's toys, but being on opposing sides of the Civil War, as one does. But when they were still friends, Stanton left Vallandigham $500 for a law course and to begin his own practice. And after a short stint in the Ohio State Legislature, Vlandingham ran for Congress as a Democrat in 1856. Despite being narrowly defeated by 19 votes, Vlandigham appealed to the Committee of Elections of the House of Representatives, claiming illegal votes denied him victory. After nearly two years of deliberation, the House eventually agreed, and Vlandingham was seated for a two-day House term. Thankfully, we've come a long way since 1856, where politicians just gracefully accept the results of a lost election. Vlandingham was elected to a full term in 1858 and re-elected in 1860 before being defeated in the 1862 election. When the U.S. Civil War broke out, Congressman Vlandingham became the de facto leader of the Copperheads, a group of anti-war Midwest Union Democrats who opposed the U.S. Civil War, opposed the abolition of slavery, and demanded an immediate peace settlement with the Confederacy. And yeah, 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 for anyone trolling in the comments section, the Democrats and the Republicans of the 1860s were not the same as the Democrats and Republicans of today. So. Just don't. But the Copperheads actively resisted the draft and encouraged Union soldiers to desert their units. Both in and out of Congress, Vallandigham became one of Abraham Lincoln's most outspoken critics, which managed to get Vallandigham in a bit of trouble. There's a good chance I may have committed some light. But as the Civil War dragged on, Abraham Lincoln began undertaking some extraordinary and in retrospect, legally questionable measures to crack down on war opponents. In 1862, Lincoln issued a proclamation suspending habeas corpus, meaning that if you were detained, you could no longer seek a remedy in the courts to determine if the detention was lawful or not. The proclamation also made discouraging enlistment, resisting drafts, or any other disloyal practice subject to martial law in trial by a military commission. But enter Major General Ambrose Burnside, famous for for humiliating military defeats and for making sideburns a thing. I thought I told you to cut those sideburns, Burnside? What sideburns? You heard me, hippie. But after losing the Battle of Fredericksburg and the Battle of Crater, Lincoln demoted Burnside and sentenced him to... Ohio, where he quickly made a name for himself. A few weeks after Vallandigham returned to Ohio, Ambrose Burnside made his move against the rebel Copperheads. In April, 1863, Burnside issued General Order Number 38, which declared Jedi's traitors to the Republic, leading to the Great Jedi Purge. No, no, that's, that's not what happened. Uh, sorry, wrong civil war. But what Burnside's General Order number 38 did was to make it a crime in some cases punishable by death to express public opposition to the war. The order stated, the habit of declaring sympathy for the enemy will not be allowed in this department. Persons committing such offenses will be at once arrested with a view of being tried or sent beyond our lines into the lines of their friends. It must be understood the treason expressed or implied will not be tolerated in this department. And of course the beatings will continue continue until morale improves. But on May 1st, 1863, now ex-Congressman Vallandigham organized a rally in Mount Vernon, Ohio, denouncing the order, the war, and demanding the immediate removal of King Lincoln. And in his speech, Vallandigham, unaware that Union agents were in the audience, taking notes, asserted, among other things, that the Civil War was a sinister plot not to preserve the Union, but to free slaves and enslave whites in their place. And thank goodness we are a long way past the days of public officials who spout baseless conspiracy theories. Belandekamp asserted the Constitution protected his right to speak freely despite the order. Ambrose Burnside disagreed. And in the early hours of May 5th, 1863, 150 Union soldiers surrounded Vlandingham's home and arrested the former congressman for treason. And as a result, Vlandingham was brought before a military tribunal where he refused to enter a plea. Ever the lawyer, he argued that the military tribunal lacked jurisdiction to hear his case, as he was not a member of the military, nor a resident of a state in rebellion or in a state under martial law. And Vlandingham contended that the Constitution guaranteed his right to have his case heard in a civil court in front of a jury of his peers, guaranteed under the Constitution. Clear as day. The military tribunal disagreed. Vlandigham was convicted of quote uttering disloyal sentiments and attempting to hinder prosecution of the war and sentenced to two years in a military prison. Vlandigham actually appealed his case all the way to the Supreme Court, arguing that as a civilian, he could not be tried as a military tribunal, which gave rise to the Ex Parte Vlandigham case. In Ex Parte Vladingham, the Supreme Court sidestepping Vlandigham's uh, jurisdictional questions unanimously ruled that the Supreme Court had no power to even hear appeals from military tribunals. Although Volandigham lost this case, after the war, the Supreme Court did vindicate his position. In a similar case, ex parte Milligan, the Supreme Court ruled that trying civilians in military tribunals is unconstitutional when civilian courts are available. So, what happened next? Well, Abraham Lincoln commuted Volandigham's sentence and banished him to the Confederacy, of all places. Volandigham, though, then sneaked into Canada, ran for governor of Ohio from a hotel in Ontario and lost, and then became the leader of the paramilitary group, the Order of the Sons of Liberty, with the plan of creating the Northwest Confederacy by overthrowing the state governments of Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, and Illinois. He was anything, if not ambitious. But in June, 1864, Vlandigham, under heavy disguise, sneaked back into the US. The intended revolt never materialized, though several other members of the Order of the Sons of Liberty were convicted of conspiracy to commit treason by a military tribunal, where, of course, Vlandigham gave testimony, only to have their own tribunal convictions thrown out by the Supreme Court by, you guessed it, ex parte Milligan. But after failed bids in the Senate and House, Vallandigham resumed his law practice. And this is where things get really interesting because alas, twas the overzealous lawyering that killed the Congressman. In 1871, Clement Vallandigham was halfway through trying what he thought would be the greatest case of his life, but it actually turned out to be the last case of his entire life. Enter his client, one Thomas McGeehan, who had been charged with the murder of a well-known local tough guy and scoundrel, Thomas Myers. And one fateful Christmas Eve in Hamilton, Ohio, Myers had been playing cards in a private room in a bar where five men burst into the room and a barroom brawl broke out. As Myers rose from his seat, rummaging in his pocket to draw his pistol, a muffled shot was heard. Myers drew his gun, fired a couple shots before he collapsed, dead. Those who witnessed the chaos kept bringing up one murder suspect, Thomas McGeehan, with whom Myers had a long-running feud. But the defense's theory was that Myers had, in fact, accidentally shot himself in all of the ruckus. And ever the hands-on lawyer, Vladingham was dead set on proving this theory correct to his co-counsel. So, like any good defense attorney, Vladingham began inspecting the murder weapon. And after firing two rounds of his five-shot Smith & Wesson revolver into a square of cloth to test whether it would leave a mark of powder, Vlandingham headed back to the hotel with his co-counsel. Newspaper accounts at the time recounted the following conversation that would portend Vlandingham's impending demise. Co-counsel Milliken, ever cautious and thoughtful, said, Val, there are three shots in your pistol yet. You had better discharge them. What for, responded Mr. Vlandingham. To prevent any accident, replied the cautious attorney, you might shoot yourself. No danger of that replied Mr. Vladingham. I carried and practiced with pistols too long to be afraid to have loaded one in my pocket. You'd better be careful though, said Mr. Milliken. Never fear me, was the reply. Evidently, the writers of Law and Order 1871 were really into very obvious foreshadowing. (laughs) And when Vallandigham returned to the hotel, he received a package, an unloaded revolver that had been used as a trial exhibit. Back in the hotel room, Vallandigham placed both weapons on the table side by side. And as other lawyers joined him in the room, Vallandigham proceeded to test his theory that Tom Myers shot himself. Vallandigham accidentally grabbing the loaded gun because obviously, he placed the revolver in his pocket and slowly drew it out. He pointed the gun at his abdomen, in the exact position he believed Myers shot himself. Thinking the gun was unloaded, he pulled the trigger. "My God, I've shot myself," Vladingham exclaimed as he reeled towards the wall. At least four jurors who were staying at the hotel entered the room to see what had transpired. Word spread throughout the town. Maybe there was something to Vladingham's theory. Well, Vladingham died the next morning. His final words were, "I may however be mistaken." but I am a firm believer in the good old Presbyterian doctrine of predestination. So what happened afterwards? Well, after two trials, first a hung jury and then a second degree murder conviction that was set aside for jury misconduct and lack of evidence, McGeehan was acquitted in his third trial. So great job, Clement. After his acquittal, McGeehan published a self-serving autobiographical work entitled Thomas McGeehan, A History of the Life and Trials of Thomas McGeehan. McGeehan actually used a print of Volandingham shooting himself as the cover. And after being run out of town, McGeehan soon returned to Hamilton, Ohio, only to realize he still had enemies. And the universe has a dark sense of humor. So after being acquitted for murder in a barroom brawl by potentially the greatest defense attorney of all time, McGeehan would soon meet his end, being shot to death in a bar. As reported by the whimsically named Tiffin Tribune, the Hamiltonians threatened to take his life if he attempted to make his home in that city. And they evidently don't like to be caught in a lie about a small matter of that kind. As for Ambrose Burnside, well, Mr. Sideburns was elected to be the first president of the NRA. Yes, that NRA. And that, my friends, is the curious case of Clement Vallandigham, potentially the greatest defense attorney of all time. And if there's any takeaways from this, it's probably that When your co-counsel warns you not to shoot yourself, you should probably take that advice. But this is not the end of the story. You see, the universe really does have a dark sense of humor and the universe was not finished with Clement Vallandigham. As reported by the Fife Herald at the time, hardly was Vallandigham in his grave before another man killed himself while trying to precisely in the same way to demonstrate how Mr. Vallandigham had met his death. I know you think that lawyers are super smart, but some aren't. And while this is a tragic example of client advocacy gone wrong, remember, the 1800s were a much different time, and thankfully, today, we are much more responsible in how we handle our firearms.